Today marks the second week in our Easter sermon series, Rise and Shine. And we're celebrating what it means that Jesus came out of the grave. The promises that God gave us in Jesus came true because Jesus died for our sins but was brought back to life. And that resurrection brings us into a new relationship, a life-giving relationship, a connection with God, our Father, and the movement of His Spirit in our hearts and minds. Today we're focusing on a short book in the New Testament called 1 John. It's one of the three letters that Jesus' disciple, John, wrote after he finished his Gospel of John, that longer book of the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus. In these shorter books, 1 John, the one we're focusing on today, we hear about a problem that the Apostle John was facing in early Christianity. And we also recognize the value of the lasting truth that he delivers in that letter to the early Christians. So join me as we explore this book together, these opening verses. At that time, the Apostle John was dealing with a problem arising in Christianity. It was a new way of thinking, a different way of believing that had departed from what Jesus taught. It was explaining, it was making the claim that if you had this special knowledge, this secret insight, you could transcend life. The the term for this way of thinking was called Gnostic thinking. It comes from a Greek word, Gnosis, meaning knowledge, and these people with special knowledge believed they could transcend or supersede the human experience. They sort of believed all these different specific things about life and humanity and the physical world versus the spiritual world. And these terms were familiar to the Christian people, and so it was easy for them to sort of be pulled out of the truth that Jesus taught that his disciples shared. So John wrote this letter, 1 John, to deal with some of those problems. And he opens it up with an authoritative claim. He starts it off with these four verses in the beginning of the book. I'm just going to read them to you now. It goes like this. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. What a powerful opening statement. John is saying, we know Jesus. We saw Him with our own eyes. We felt Him around us with our own senses. We heard His words with our own ears. So we know what we're talking about. He's writing as the authority of the disciples and the apostles of the early leaders of the Christian church. And so he's making this claim that Jesus is the truth. And when you go back to what Jesus says, these other claims that people might make aren't true and can't compete with what the truth that God's love gives to us through the words and actions and life. Of Jesus. So while we might not be facing the same troubles or the same complications or the same false beliefs that the Apostle John was facing in those early days of Christianity, we still live in a world that competes with the claims that we make as God's people. So the world still wants to be in conflict with us about what we believe Jesus said, who we believe He is, and what it means for us that we are His followers. We are His brothers and sisters, children of God the Father. The world today 
fights to pull us into different directions. It pushes us into our own little echo chambers, our own little corners that tell us we are the best we can be, that tell us we don't need any help, that we're perfect on our own. And it pushes and pulls us into these specific little directions away from the rest of the world. The world seeks to drive us apart from each other, to push us into these factions and and groups of people that compete with one another, trying to prove who the best really is. But as John writes in this letter to the early Christian church, we hear from him, first of all, that he knows what he's talking about. He knew Jesus. He talked with and walked alongside of Jesus. And as we read a little bit further in the book, we hear this important verse, this important claim. If we are living in the light and God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He goes on to say, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. There's two things, there's two points kind of being made in this portion of the the letter from John. He's saying, first of all, none of us are perfect. We all are in need of a Savior. And secondly, he's saying that the blood of Jesus covers us in forgiveness and gives us his identity as God's perfect child. Those two claims fly in the face of what the world would tell you. The world is seeking to drive us apart, to pull us apart, to push us into these groups of people or or individual thinking that says, I don't need any help. I'm fine on my own. But God reminds us that we are not perfect. And for us to claim that we are fine on our own is just totally false. We're, we're, we're left abandoned without hope. But Jesus stepped into our lives. He stepped into our world. And he died for us on the cross and came back to life in Easter. And that, that point of Easter is really what drives home the proof of what we believe. None of it would matter if Easter never happened. But because Jesus was brought out of the grave, we know we can trust in what he says. We can believe when he says, first of all, that we are in desperate need of a Savior. But we can also believe when he says that his blood covers us with forgiveness. The world is always going to be competing with and conflicting with the claims God makes on us and the things we believe about his love for us. But here's the real takeaway, the the powerful part of this. When we trust in God's promises, when we recognize our sinfulness, our incompleteness, and we believe that He draws us unto Himself, we become part of the family of God, united in something that transcends, that is beyond what this world will tell you. It's beyond any way of thinking, whether it's the way of thinking that competed with the early Christians, or it's the way of thinking that competes with Christians today. We are part of the family of God, and that relationship with one another, where we recognize that none of us are perfect, and we recognize that we all are made perfect through Jesus. There's no other way for us to have this relationship with God or this relationship with one another. That unification, that uniting of people to one another into the family of God is the joy of Easter that we reflect on today. Easter happened. Jesus is out of the grave, and his death and resurrection put on us a new identity give us a new relationship with God primarily, but also with those around us. This is the joy of Easter. When we say rise and shine and recognize the light shining on us every day, we know that nothing can drive us apart when the love of God ties us together.